You may be seated. Before I begin this morning, I know we have a few children uh, in the congregation this morning, and so I would like to just take a moment, uh, without inviting them to come forward, I know my family has been dealing with some sickness, so I'm trying to keep my distance, um, but today is a day where you see uh, Father Jim and Deacon Robert wearing pink, we see as well as being dressed up you know, at the Lord's table with pink, we have a pink candle, it's a day of rejoicing. And as we look at John in a moment, you know, I want to remind us that our preparation is not a sorrowful preparation, but it's a joyful preparation. And so uh, I think it's important, particularly uh, in this season, as we are preparing for the coming of Christ, to remember this. It's important for us as we wait eagerly for Christ's return to remember that the joy is not just in the future, but there is great comfort now in the present. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you will open up our hearts and our minds. May we receive you this morning. May we sense your presence. May we... uh, May we sense your joy. May we know you as our Lord and our Savior, who though be imprisoned and persecuted and ridiculed, we are with you. We sense your presence. We are encouraged by your word. And so encourage our hearts this morning. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Show me a great man, and I will show you one who listens, hears, and obeys. These words characterize John the Baptist, for whom we read in our Gospel reading this morning. So fundamentally flawed, depraved, and incomplete, like you and me, he gave witness to Christ. Though imprisoned and far removed from Christ, he faithfully served him. Though he endured a costly course, he was greatly commended by Christ. I submit that there is more here than simply admiration of a man, but spiritual lessons and warnings Here we may discover great meaning and warnings that will inspire us to listen, to learn, obey, and to garner a great reward. So I invite you to open up your service booklets to our gospel reading. Let us consider what it is that our Lord is saying to us. What might we learn on this third Sunday of Advent? where Christians have gathered for centuries and observed John the Baptist and the prophets to remember Christ's coming and anticipate his return. Well, consider the significance of hearing and seeing Christ. Look at verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, 
He sent word by his disciples. How did John the Baptist hear? Was it not because someone told him? You see, our faith is not so much about something that we take up as much as it is about something that has happened to us. God has come to us, not the other way around. John the Baptist's actions were caused because of provenient actions. Actions before. It is because he heard that he acted. It is because the eyes of his, of his heart were opened that he believed. If we are to believe, then we must hear. As we heard earlier in the epistle reading, I ask, are our hearts established for the day of the Lord? Or are we filled with grumbling? Are we prepared for Him or are we prepared for something else? Are we examples of suffering and patience like the prophets? Or are we concerned with fleeting pleasures? We should strive to remember this glorious principle of provenience. First, because of the doctrines for which it treasures. And second, because of the disciplines for which it fosters. By remembering this provenience, we prepare the way of the Lord, you see. It is His work, not ours. One may be educated of many things and still be ignorant of God. One may have knowledge, wisdom, and a variety of degrees, yet know nothing of truth and hope. In an age of great opportunity, we should be reminded of the greatest of all opportunities. It's Christ, His coming, the Word made flesh. The significance of hearing and seeing Christ is vast. His words and signs not only satisfy, but also cause us to desire more of Him. We desire more of Him not because of deprivation or hunger, but because of the growing satisfaction that plunges us deeper into the depths of the goodness of the Godhead. You see, this day of joy and rejoicing amidst this season of preparation, of penitence, is significant because it is in our penitence, it is in our preparation, our repentance, that we find such great satisfaction, such great joy that plunges us deeper into the Godhead. If we wish to savor the goodness of God, then we must hear the words and see the works of Christ. The more we hear them, the more we see them, the more satisfied we become. And the deeper we grow in our Lord. Now look with me at verses 3 to 4. John's disciples said to Christ, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. And then in verses 5 and 6, Christ provides a healthy list of miraculous happenings, implying that they had heard and seen these things. In chapter 7 of Luke's Gospel, we're given at least two of these events for which John's disciples witnessed. 
both the healing of the centurion's servant and the raising from the dead the widow's son. Yes, it was the seeing and the hearing of Christ's words and works that strengthened their faith. As Isaiah says, they saw a desert rejoicing. They saw the eyes of blind of the blind open. They saw the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute sing for joy. They saw the glory of the Lord as they were preparing the way of the Lord. And so I ask, do you see the works and hear the words of Christ? If you wish to serve Him, then you must savor all that Christ gives. And what is it that Christ says to do? What does He say to do to John's disciples? He says to go. You see, if we are to receive His benefits, then we must also receive His commands. Yes, we must hear and see His marvelous deeds and go. There are stipulations to following Christ. Christ may be before all things, He may be holding all things together, but He requires much for us to do. We must hear and listen and obey Him. And then we read in verses 7 to 9 of how Christ questions. He questions the crowd, asking them, why was it? Yeah, asking them, why was it that they went out into the wilderness to see and to hear John the Baptist? You see, through Christ's words, He shows their wicked hearts. He shows how fickle and superficial and fleeting and non-committal they are. He shows that John the Baptist is the prophesied prophet who was to prepare the way of the Messiah. He shows that though they are different, Christ and John are united in the Father's purpose. And He shows that He Himself is the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, and the King. Now look at verses 9-11 to and see how Christ affirms and commends John the Baptist. Why do you think Christ commended him and made such an example of him? Is he not illustrating the commitment of a commended servant? Is he not illustrating the reward? Is he not showing that he is the long-awaited Messiah? Is He not revealing the unity of the Father's saving purpose for which John the Baptist and Christ Himself gave witness? If we are to wait well, like John the Baptist, then we must hear and obey the words of Christ. And now let me give you three warnings that I glean from this passage. Let us beware of self-pity. Let us beware of claiming ignorance or oblivion. And let us beware of seeking to please others. Yes, beware of self-pity. When John the Baptist could have pitied himself in prison, he served the cause of Christ mightily. Why did John the Baptist send his disciples? Was it because he questioned 
whether Jesus was the Christ? Or was it to encourage himself and his disciples? He had already given witness to Christ before he had been imprisoned. The Gospel of John shares that when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is true that those who are strong in the Lord at times feel weak. But a question from one who has already been confirmed in Christ is far different than one for whom Christ has not strengthened. We should not assume that his sincere questioning was for lack of faith. No. I submit that it was for lack of self-pity. He had lived a humble ministry in freedom, and now he lived a humble ministry in prison. He humbly knew that he needed assurance, and instead of turning to, into himself, he turned to Christ through his disciples. He listened to them, and he served them. He knew what his disciples needed, and he knew what he needed. He knew that his disciples would be encouraged by what they would see and hear from Christ. And he knew that they would return and encourage him and what they heard and what they saw. He knew that his disciples needed to avoid sectarianism and division. And that they needed to come under the one for whom he had been preparing for. And so what did he do? He skillfully turned both himself and his disciples to Christ. He prepared the way, pointed to Christ, waited eagerly, and received Christ. A great reward. So we should take wisdom from his humble yet purposeful example. We should guard from self-pity by not only searching the source from whom all comfort flows, but also by quietly directing others to do so as well. How often do we seek to defend our own innocence instead of boldly adoring His? Are we ready to receive Him? Despite the risk of being misperceived, John the Baptist pointed his disciples to Christ. He didn't worry if they were to misunderstand Him. His only concern was that they receive Christ and that He receive Him as well. You see, his imprisonment was not by Herod Antipas, after all, but by Jesus Christ. Like Paul gave witness to the church at Ephesus, may we do the same. May we echo his words by saying, for this reason, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you. Who are we prisoners of Christ for? Is it our family members? Is it our friends? Is it our colleagues? If we wish to be commended like John the Baptist, then we must be prisoners of Christ for the sake of others. We must turn to Christ and not to ourselves. We must serve our Lord and serve others. We must not seek to please others, but please only our Lord. Yes, we must prepare the way of Christ. We must point to Him. And we must wait eagerly for His coming. But we should also beware of claiming ignorance or oblivion. 
It could have been arguably easy for John the Baptist and his disciples to choose ignorance. Their beloved freedoms, ministry, and master had been taken from them. Yet despite all of this, they chose not ignorance and oblivion, but to search the truth and to hear, see, and to go. With all these crises that they are facing, they did not forget or overlook the goodness of God. They remembered the character of God, the promises of old, the everlasting covenant. Because of God's tender mercy, the dawn from on high shall break upon them. Why? To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And faced with pleasure or pain, we must remember the promises of God. Because God has acted, we cannot claim ignorance. We may suffer much and be deprived by many things, but we must always hear and see the promises of God. Christians may be many things, but ignorant they are not. We may be keen on learning many things, and that is good and well. But may we never do it at the expense of learning and clinging to Christ, our Savior. And lastly, we should beware of pleasing others. While we are to love and to serve each other, we are to do so in and through the love of God. It is our love to God that we love our neighbor. Our love is not even our own. You see, it is because he first loved us that we can love others. So do not think that love is adhering to the principles of pop culture. Beware of pleasing others. They will lead you astray. They will make you discouraged rejected and alone. What would have happened had John the Baptist sought to please Herod Antipas or his disciples sought to please their flesh? They would have never heard, seen, or been sent by Christ. They would have never been made recipients and inheritors of hope and promise. Neither did Christ, John the Baptist, or any of their disciples dance to the tune for which the world and leaders wanted them to dance to. Rather, these who are eternally promised made demands with their lives. Costly demands. And this is why Jesus gives the illustration in verses 16 and 17 and compares this generation to being like children in the marketplace complaining. For he says, when they played the flute for you, you did not dance. And when they sang a dirge, you did not mourn. If we are to be followers of Christ, like John the Baptist and his disciples, then we must not serve the whims and the wills of the people. It is Christ alone that we, whom we must serve. So what difference does our life show? Do our lives give proof that we have heard and seen and been sent by the one who makes us more than conquerors in Christ, Jesus, who loves us? Are we like that of the promised, yet imprisoned John the Baptist? Are we imprisoned to the wicked world or the merciful Savior? 
You see, the issue that must concern us is not how to win friends and influence people, but whether or not we are single-mindedly focused on hearing and seeing and being sent by our Lord. You cannot receive Christ if you not, do not hear Him. You certainly cannot be sent by Christ if you have not received Him. So let us anticipate rejection, persecution, and ridicule. We are wise to expect that unbelievers will be dissatisfied with us and hostile to us. Let us expect these things so that we will not be offended when they happen to us. On this third Sunday of Advent, I pray that we are encouraged and inspired by these examples. I pray that we are ready to hear and see and to receive our Lord when He speaks, acts, and comes. Let us patiently and let us wait patiently and be encouraged by the prophet who, of, who, who, as James writes, proclaimed the name of the Lord and suffered greatly. Let us be like these prophets who are like farmers waiting patiently for the seed to bear fruit. Let us be like John the Baptist who, though deprived, imprisoned, and persecuted, gave a mighty witness of the Messiah and was awarded greatly. May the same witness that strengthened the souls of these examples strengthen our hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.